1: Late last week, America learned of the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Following this news, on Saturday, President Trump publicly expressed that Republicans have an obligation to fill the Supreme Court vacancy without delay. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said the president's nomination will, in fact, receive a confirmation vote. The Republicans hold 53 Senate seats, and at this time, only two Senate Republicans have said they would not support voting on a nominee before Election Day. Democrats quickly cautioned against that move, saying it breaks from precedent set by Republicans in 2016 not to consider a nominee during an election year. President Trump released a shortlist for the Supreme Court weeks ago and has announced his intentions to nominate a woman. This vacancy has reignited calls from former Vice President Joe Biden to release his own shortlist. But on Sunday Biden stated he would not be releasing a list of potential nominees, however asserted his belief that the winner of the 2020 election should be the one to decide who will fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court vacancy. We'll start there with our panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, Democratic strategist and syndicated talk radio host Leslie Marshall, and Fox News Politics editor Chris Styrwold. Okay, Chris, uh, how big a deal does this what does this do to the election?
2: Well, I mean, it it depends on the onus is on Trump and the Republicans to execute well. But assuming that they execute well, that they can keep 50 Republican senators together. and uh, Mike Pence can cast the tiebreaker. They can keep 50 Republican senators together. They can come up with a nominee who is non-controversial, the nomination will be controversial, but if they can come up with a nominee that doesn't kick off a bunch of culture war flashpoints, but can be expeditiously confirmed, somebody uh, on on par with what John Roberts got in 2005 when he was through in 31 days. So if Republicans can execute that, I think it's an obvious plus for Trump. It's an obvious plus for Trump because not only does he pay off the suburban voters and the support from those folks who in 2016 stuck with him even though they were concerned about him as a person so it helps him with those voters the three justices more to come probably in the next term but also it takes the issue away from biden because biden would love to have the open seat and be able to do to republicans in 2020 what republicans did to democrats about merrick garland uh in 2016 and have it as an issue uh to energize his base
1: doesn't it also, Tom, take the issue of filling these open judge seats and justices and for independents or moderate-leaning Republicans, they say, oh, wait a second, that's why I vote for Donald Trump. You know, I don't like him. I don't like the tweets. I don't like what he says. But I remember Brett Kavanaugh and this turned me around you know, it, doesn't it change the, the focus from COVID, at least for a few days to well, this?
3: Yeah, it, it definitely does that. It, it changes the narrative of the campaign. And we're now focused on something other than COVID, which is which is good for Trump. And as you and Chris both mentioned it, this is an issue that is one of his strengths. It's one of the reasons he was elected in 2016. It's one of the promises that he's kept in getting all these judges through. And so in that sense, it it plays, uh, I think, to, to Republican strengths. However, You know, the Democrats reaction to this, it was really, you know, set off all sorts of warning signals. I mean, they've raised, what, a hundred plus million dollars just in the in the three days or two days since since the passing of RBG was announced. And you've really got them, you know, sort of rushing to the barricades here. And so to the extent that Democrats needed any more motivation to get to the polls uh, on November 3rd or vote early or vote by mail or however they're going to do it. I think this this helps energize them as well. So I, it's not clear to me who it's going to benefit more overall, but it certainly injects uh, more intensity into just an incredibly tense, intense election already. And and this degree of uncertainty, particularly as as Chris mentioned, you try to navigate the logistics of it, the potential you know, lame duck vote. You've got them, you know, the Arizona Senate special election. Uh, which could seat Mark Kelly by November 30th, I guess. So there's just a lot of moving parts to this. And, and I think there's potential for both parties to fumble it. Republicans on one side and Democrats by by sort of overreacting or, or treating uh, the nominee who's going to be a woman, obviously um, in, in sort of aggressive, disrespectful ways when they're questioning or if it's Amy Coney Barrett about her religion. So I think there's a lot of pitfalls for both parties here.
1: You know, Leslie, Joe Biden has talked about this as finding a common ground, bipartisanship, to take the heat down a few notches uh, in calling for it to be put off until the next president or reelected president, either one, um, is inaugurated. However, other Democrats in his party clearly have not toned it down. I mean, you had AOC and Chuck Schumer saying everything's on the table stacking the court, including adding, you know, three justices to the Supreme Court. Impeachment was talked about as a possible way to block Donald Trump. Those are not, you know, toning it down things. And does that, in essence, hurt Biden?
0: I don't think it hurts Biden at all. I mean, quite frankly, you know, I'm I'm hearing and not just seeing money, as uh, Tom had mentioned. Uh, but, you know, A lot of people would say there's a lack of enthusiasm for Biden and for the Democratic Party right now. And there's some merit to that. But anger is an incredible motivator. After Brett Kavanaugh, we saw a tsunami in the House and I predict in November we're going to see a tsunami in the Senate. Senate Majority Leader has made the decision that it's more important for him to fill that seat than to keep his own seat because he is going to lose the majority. If you look at the states and you look at just take a state like Colorado, for example, uh, that state and many others that are very close, not only for the presidency, but have some tough Senate races going, are very purple. And when you look at the polling in those states, majority of voters, both male and female, are pro-choice. Trump has been eroding away Uh, His support from women, this is going to add to that. And quite frankly, I do think that we're going to see more people come out and vote based on this issue because, you know, voters don't like hypocrisy left or right. And clearly, and Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Mitch McConnell are being hypocrites compared to what they said and did in 2016. But compared come to what on, Leslie, from- it goes the
1: other way, too. I mean, there are plenty of soundbites. The Republican committee just put out like a slew of montage of Democrats saying you have to vote uh, to ha- have a nine seat Supreme Court before the election and you have to fill this vacancy. I mean, it goes both ways on the hypocrisy. Um,
0: oh, absolutely. But they didn't do it. The people in power, the people in control uh, are, were the Republicans in 2016 and still are now uh, in 2020. So they, so well, in a sense, are the deciders. If, if and, the Demo- Biden- and the Democrats are simply saying, look, you set the precedent then. Then we have to keep that precedent and follow. Okay. So
1: if Joe Biden was president and there was a Democratic controlled Senate, do you really think that Chuck Schumer would wait to fill the open seat?
0: Probably not. (laughs) I'm being honest. I mean, that's really the flip, right?
1: I mean, you just put it through the same prism and there's no way they would wait.
0: I'm I'm telling you, I think that they they really have to weigh what's more important to them, filling that seat or losing the Senate, more seats in the House and probably the White House. I think the Republicans will lose in the long run with this decision.
3: But Leslie, in 2018, Republicans expanded their majority in the Senate. They gained Senate seats. I mean, they lost, obviously, in the House, 40 seats. But but it did not – the backlash to the Kavanaugh hearings actually helped Republicans at the Senate level. Why do you think it's going to be any different this time around?
2: Well, wait, 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 you, well you don't know that. What? You know that the, you know, the Republicans had a uh, great map. Uh, and I think anybody who th- says that they know – What the what the firm electoral consequences of the Kavanaugh hearing were is pulling your leg because I don't think I don't think there were
1: polls around the time. You remember this, Chris, that said people were just disgusted by the process and thought Democrats were, were, you know, running circles when they didn't have to.
2: Look, I, I think the the Kavanaugh effect, you can find an argument for it, pro or against. And when it comes to this hypocrisy business, it doesn't matter. It doesn't connect. It doesn't have an effect. There have been in history only a handful of presidents who have tried to do what President Trump is trying to do. Barack Obama was one of them. But in the modern era, it's just FDR, Woodrow Wilson and Herbert Hoover, whoever tried it before. There is precedent for doing it, but there are also political consequences for doing it. I don't think voters will say, well, the Biden rule means X, Y, Z, and I'm upset at that person. I don't think that plays.
1: But, you know, FDR, at his height of his power, also tried to stack the Supreme Court and fell flat on his face. I I just think it seems outside the realm of possibility that they're going to add four justices if this goes through.
2: I think one of the things that protects Democrats here is that the powers that be in the Senate are going to squelch that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talk about packing the court pretty quickly. Because just as you say, it won't convince any Republicans not to vote for confirmation. They'll do it anyway, uh, the ones who are going to do it. And it just gives Republicans an issue to say, if you let the Democrats take over, they're going to use a nuclear option to increase the size of the Supreme Court for the first time since 1869.
1: Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this.
3: This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.
1: How powerful, Leslie, is the Roe v. Wade issue on the left and on the right in your mind? And, you know, Amy may Barrett obviously is in the, the camp that of overturning Roe v. Wade.
0: It's very powerful on both sides, Brett, because, you know, look, when when you look at some of the most powerful issues or one issue, uh, one issue voters, if you look at those one issues they vote on, what do they vote on? Things that are extremely emotionally charged, which certainly the right to an abortion is, uh, just like capital punishment or gun control. But this even more so. There are people on the right, especially the evangelical wing of the Republican Party, uh, that, that pretty much were born, in a sense, uh, to see this happen. They have wanted uh, Roe v. Wade overturned since 1973. And then there are those on the left that, in a sense, have been fearing that this could happen. And, and I do think that could motivate people on both sides uh, to come out and vote for their candidate. Obviously, on the right, Donald Trump, and on the left, Joe Biden. Very, very essential issue on both sides.
1: Tom, the other issue that that Biden is going to hit on and has already started is health care. And there's this case that will get to the Supreme Court after Election Day, which deals with Obamacare directly. And it does give Biden a little bit more ammo on that issue, an issue that Trump has said he's going to have some plan, but has not brought one forward.
3: Right. And I do think that's where Biden can can really use this to play to one of his strengths, which, as you mentioned, healthcare is the number two issue. The Wall Street Journal poll that came out this week showed that economy was the number one issue on the minds of voters. Forty percent of voters said it was the most important issue. Uh, second most was healthcare at like twenty four percent, I think. And while Trump had a, a ten point lead on who who would better handle the economy, Biden's lead on healthcare was twenty two percent, I believe. So so um, it's it's probably Joe Biden. One of his biggest strengths is that voters. Uh, think he will do a better job on health care and, he and he can use this uh, this current situation to sort of play right into that strength right in advance of the election.
1: One of the amazing things about this race, Chris, is that it's been remarkably stable. It really hasn't shifted that much. I mean, is this going to move the needle of where we've been, whatever the national polls and the key battlegrounds are?
2: Well, there's on a national level, I'm skeptical that there that this will persuade many voters. Obviously, it's going to have some intensifier effects. It's going to have donation effects or whatever. But it's on the Senate map where we will see the most consequences from this vacancy, right, where you have the Republicans trying to hold on to a three-seat majority. They're going to get one back in Alabama, but it looks like they're going to give up two in Arizona and Colorado. That leaves them fighting in Montana, Iowa, Maine, and North Carolina, and if Democrats can get two, then they can get the Senate. Uh, I think that this is doomsday for Susan Collins in Maine. She's already said she's not going to support Trump, but I don't think anything she could say. I think this is. I think this really puts her under. I think it helps uh, Joni Ernst in Iowa. I think it probably helps Steve Daines in Montana. The big question, as has been for much of this uh, cycle, is Tom Tillis in North Carolina. He's re- he's really been struggling. Uh, this and North Carolina is so closely divided. Tillis has been underperforming. Will this energize enough Republicans? Will it bring out more college-educated uh, white women who are pro-choice? I don't know, but it's it's going to be uh, Mr. Toad's wild ride for Tillis down there.
1: Yeah. Well, his Democratic opponent got a little grief for saying he would be skeptical of a vaccine. That's that, true, that, but that so, so did guidelines. like half of Americans. So yeah. uh, so <laughs> and, Leslie, and by the way,
3: Brett, notice that that all of those senators that that Chris just mentioned, Tillis, Ernst, and Danes all came out in favor of moving the nomination forward. Collins is against, obviously, and Cory Gardner hasn't, as of as of right now, hasn't tipped his hand one way or the other. But all the ones in close races um, are are on board with moving this nomination forward.
1: Yeah, we haven't heard from Mitt Romney yet, which is kind of interesting. He obviously has never been shy about bucking his party and seems to have kind of relish it. But when said. Uh, reported that he was going to side with Murkowski and Collins. The Romney office put out a statement. Leslie and said, "That's not true. He has not said that." And so you wonder what uh, the Utah senator may do, because obviously that's three.
0: Yeah, definitely, I- I'm with you. You know what is Mitt Romney going to say? But then again, um, you know, with all due respect to Senator Romney, he he's flip flopped on this issue so many times. Uh, When, you know, when when he ran for the Senate in Massachusetts, he was pro-choice. When he was the governor of Massachusetts, he was pro-choice. When he was running for president, he was pro-life. And then he's running for the Senate in Utah. He was pro-life.
1: He loves these questions, by the way. (laughs) I asked those questions when he was a presidential candidate. He really loves them. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's an unusual interview.
0: And, 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 and the, the state of Utah on this issue is definitely more pro-life, especially among the Mormon community. So it, it really comes down to does Mitt Romney want the spotlight to go against a president that he clearly has disdain for? Or does he want to represent his constituency in the state of Utah? Uh, we'll see what happens with that.
1: All right, last thing, all three of you weigh in. Uh, waiting for the the big debate, the first time head-to-head, Chris Wallace, the moderator in Cleveland at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, the Trump campaign putting out a statement that they think that Joe Biden is going to be tuned up or tuned in, I think is the word they used, uh, trying to maybe turn the tide on uh, that he's lost it, uh, which we hear from the president on all these rallies. So what about this debate, the importance of it and what, what we expect, Tom and Chris, Leslie?
3: Look, I think the Trump campaign recognized that they were sort of setting themselves up for a trap by lowering the bar so far for Joe Biden that all we'd have to do is stay upright on that stage for 90 minutes and, and it'd be considered a success. And so they've sort of uh, shifted tax here. And, you know, Trump's making cracks about them giving him a shot and all these things. I think I think we could see uh, this is one of the one of the main pivot points left in the campaign. I think voters are going to be paying attention and and they will they will make judgments about what they see. And if Biden comes off well, I think, uh, you know, it'll be good for his campaign. Obviously, if he has some sort of senior moment or there's a car crash by either one of the candidates, it could be a real uh, a real problem for for both of them. So I I think uh, the importance, the stakes are going to be really, really high. Chris. Um, you,
2: it it is a shift to go from doesn't know he's alive to is on drugs. So we will call that managing expectations, uh, by Trump on Biden. You know, I think both of these guys have a similar MO when it comes to debates. We've seen them both debate a lot and they uh, run out the clock and go into a clinch like an old boxer, right? They say what they're going to say and then run out their Let's time and wait wait for the moderator to come in and jump on the ball and stop the conversation. And I think that they're both gonna try to do that.
1: Leslie?
0: I think we're gonna see um, uh, the Joe Biden that talked about taking uh, Donald Trump behind the schoolyard or a guy like Donald Trump and beating the crap out of him. I think we're going to see verbal beating the crap out of each other. And the reason I, 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 I say that is because uh, you know Biden and what I've heard from the campaign, Folks, um, you know, he's ready to show he is not in any kind of mental impairment or cognitive decline, and he is going to personally attack Donald Trump as much as Trump attacks him. Uh, And and quite frankly, the people that like Biden already plan to vote for him, the debate's not going to change that. The same with those who support Trump. It's going to be that sliver of undecided voters that it might help. And quite frankly, it is either guys to win or lose. But Joe Biden definitely just just showing up gets points based on the attacks from Trump thus far. (laughs)
1: All right. And just in the past few minutes, Senator McConnell says the Senate has more than sufficient time to process this nomination. So there you have it. Uh, Panel, thank you very much. September 26, 1960, the first televised presidential debate in American history took place in a TV studio in Chicago, Illinois. Democratic Senator John F. Kennedy faced off against Republican incumbent Vice President Richard Nixon. Legend has it, once the debate ended, the majority of radio listeners would call the debate a tie or even in favor of Nixon. But those who watched the debate on TV believed Kennedy to be the clear winner. After winning the White House by a narrow margin, President Kennedy would go on to say it was the TV more than anything else that turned the tide. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Tom, Leslie, and Chris, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.